0: The main difference between singing and just playing a piece of music is that you've got that added element of familiarity. And that's so important to an infant because their perceptual universe is incredibly confusing, right? Our ability to infer emotion and the cues that we use to do that actually changes quite a lot over the course of development. and. Pitch perception does become more specialised over the course of development. Just last month, actually, there was a research publication that hit the headlines about um, beat perception in newborn babies. You know how some people play music with the idea of it, you know, being heard by the infant in that kind of last trimester. and they've shown that.
1: Hi, Annie. Hello, oh.
0: Mark. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, very good. How are you?
0: Yeah, good. Thank you.
1: Welcome to High Point. Thank
0: you. Nice um, to be
1: here. Yeah, I don't know how long, uh, when when I started to speak to you about High Point, the podcast, but um, the first time I heard what you were doing, and we're friends in real life, Yeah. Uh, the first time I heard what you were doing, I thought... I need to have you on the podcast because it's really interesting. Oh, thank you. So, um, yeah, it's going to be more your, well, I'll let you introduce yourself. But, um hopefully it will be very interesting.
0: Hopefully, yeah. Um, so,
1: yeah, can you introduce yourself the way you would like to be introduced?
0: My name is Annie Pai and I'm a lecturer at the University of Manchester. I am the Deputy Programme Director of the Undergraduate Psychology degree and Part of my teaching involves um, leading a unit in the psychology of music, which is probably my most favourite part of my job because it's the thing I love. I just love music and um, yeah, it's really, it's something that I kind of got together last year with a bunch of colleagues from the Manchester Centre for Audiology and Deafness and they all come from it at quite a different angle. So we start by talking about kind of auditory perception and physiology of the ear and how we perceive certain aspects of music. And as the course moves on, we kind of get to the more applied stuff. So music in clinical populations and how it can be used as a therapeutic intervention. So it really spans like psychology of music in all sorts of different um, walks of life. So it's a really lovely unit and um great bunch of colleagues that I work on it with. So great. yeah, brilliant part of my job. Do you play instruments? I um, badly I um, started playing classical guitar when I was about eight years old and I did a few grades on that but um, no I haven't I've never really mastered musical instruments but I've always been fascinated with how music has the propensity to kind of like evoke emotions in yeah. people and i've always used music as um an, emu- an emotional outlet and, and alongside my phd which is a grueling process for anyone who's ever done one it was always um kind of a source of sanctuary to me was making music so i i've engaged in that process a lot but i wouldn't necessarily describe myself as a competent musician <laughs> in a lot of ways so yeah, but no, how I, about you do
1: you at least um practice music and you love music because of
0: practice y- yeah yeah i mean I think that there's, there's, I've got competency in kind of my ability to h- hear music and, and have a good ear for music in a, in a way, like the spectral side of it, so pitch and things, I can quite easily hear a piece of music and play it back a lot of the time. But um, rhythm, I'm a disaster. <laughs> like, and I know you said that you, you play the practice. drums. I just I just have no sense of you know, rhythm. Like it's, yeah.
1: yeah, I think um, it's, it's quite interesting. I'll, and we'll, I'll ask you, I've got a lot of questions for you, but the sense of rhythm and tune... I think it's educated, it's environmental, Mm -hmm. much more than innate and natural. Because when I, uh, yes, so I play uh, keyboard, I still don't own the fact that um, I've played for years and years and years organ. Uh, But then after that, I played also uh, percussions.
0: Like, where, do you, and, where do you get an organ? Where do you
1: practice an organ? Well, there's uh, in music schools. There's, there's always an organ, and then after that, you need to go to obviously churches to practice. And some organs are very very specific. The play, the way you play, some organs is very specific. So you need to go to a very specific church. That's uh, so cool. Yeah, and, <laughs> I never and, uh, knew that about you. <laughs> uh, and then uh, yeah, after that, you can you can buy an organ like uh, an electronic one. Yeah which is a bit more fun because you can do a lot of electronic uh like tricks and stuff with yeah. it and then yeah like um, you can practice with obviously the hands and the feet with it cool. so it's like it's not bigger than a it's smaller even smaller than a piano wow okay so uh, so yeah Amazing. Um, let's
0: up in you every day yeah exactly <laughs>
1: so um yeah what i meant is i was really rubbish at uh, rhythm Okay. um and at the music school you could definitely see the difference between the percussionists and the others so every exercise on rhythm they were just flying yeah and as soon as i started percussion i was also i, I was also feeling like i was flying yeah um and reading rhythm was really easy for me so um uh, so yeah so that, that's what i did you I go think. to a specialist music school um I went to a general school, and yeah. on the side I was going to a special school. Uh, so yeah, uh, for years and years. Wow! But um, <laughs> yeah, that's why that's why I became an acoustician, I guess. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. Cultivated a so, love for you. Yeah.
1: Um, so so yeah, I obviously um, you told me about your course, and we had a chance, and I thought. It would be really interesting if you could do that course or if we could speak about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, obviously, we're going to try to make it simple or if you can try, try to make it yeah. simple I mean, and it's, understandable.
0: Yeah, undergraduate level, so it's, it's, yeah. it's good stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I give two lectures on the course. So one's in musical development mm-hmm. and one's in music and emotion. And they follow on from the kind of like, how, does, how do we hear the basic features yeah. of music? What are the basic features of music? So um, before they come to my lectures, our students will hear about... Um, what we mean by things like harmony and melody so if i say anything that feels like it might need an explanation then please do roll me back and we'll go Um, from there the
1: other thing we didn't mention is that you also have a podcast
0: i do it is yeah it's it's for students no it's it's for students on the psychology Mm -hmm. undergraduate program um so me and the program director host a podcast called encyclopedia i don't know if that's a really cringe-worthy name for a podcast but no, it's not. Uh, psych like psychology pod like podcast uh, so yeah we host a podcast that we release every month for our undergraduate students still very much in its infancy so I've, yeah. i'm hoping to learn some some tricks from you here today oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> you look like a pro i don't
1: know <laughs> yeah thank you but uh i don't feel like a, i get there yeah, get you have to imp- improve every like one thing for every episode yeah uh, but yeah it was a really big, really steep learning curve. In yeah, comes to learning, like trying to not make mistakes now.
0: Yeah, I feel like I'm at the very start of that. I've just I've just recruited two um, undergraduate interns to help me. One of which has got expertise in marketing, and the other one which has got expertise in auditory um, editing. Great! So, I feel like I'm I'm now better equipped equipped than I was a month ago. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. Cool. <laughs> Let you know in worth year. It, I can
1: tell you. <laughs> um. So yeah, obviously the first part of your court. Course, you you gave me your course for some homework to prepare that episode, but um, it's about prenatal and newborn music development. So, can you um, can we start with very simple question? When did we start knowing that we can hear and perceive music?
0: Yeah, so I guess it was um in the 1900s before there was kind of all the technology that we have today to kind of look at what perception might to a fetus, Mm -hmm. Um, there was this kind of widely held belief or, you know, assumption that auditory facilities didn't really start until the point of birth, so that there wasn't much auditory capabilities of the fetus. Um, And the very earliest studies that started to look at that was using very rudimentary apparatus, so like these styluses with pencils and things that (laughs) they would rest on the bellies of pregnant women and then um you know just tap blocks of wood alongside these recording devices and see if there was any changes in the contours of the abdomen in response to those um noises that they were making and they did observe that you know there were you know movements in the fetus in response to sound so then you know at that point it was about 1935 they were starting to rethink this assumption that they the the fetus was unable to perceive sound. Um, But, you know, through the development of things like ultrasound um, and other technologies, we're now at a point where we can work out to a much better degree what auditory life is like for the fetus. And it's really in that kind of final trimester of pregnancy. So... um, You know, weeks 26 to to full term, where we see this development of um, auditory capabilities. So, in the first two trimesters, we see uh, very much the development of the physiology of the ear and the cochlea becoming. A cochlea, um, but then in the last trimester we see that becoming fine tuned to be able to perceive different frequencies, and that perception of frequency is really important for voices, language, and music as well. So, um, yeah, from weeks twenty six onwards, you can see that capability in a fetus, which is pretty cool.
1: Great! It seems to be have had a big boom in like those th- that type of research for yeah auditory development of yeah. the babies and the fetuses i remember our uh the midwife uh who gave birth to our first child yeah um she kept talking about it and she had uh, she was doing a masters at the time amazing and uh, it was on the music development or the development of the auditory system yeah or i can't remember exactly the, the exact topic but it was on yeah Babies and music.
0: Yeah, and just last month, actually, there was a research publication that hit the headlines about um, perception of beats, beat perception in newborn babies, and how um, they seem to be able to, rather than just like statistically learn patterns, um, they actually seem to be have this innate beat perception, which is pretty cool as well. So, there's definitely an interest in it, and um, yeah, it's a cool area of research. And studies have shown that um, actually, you know how t- some people play music. To, with the idea of it you know, being heard by the infant in that kind of last trimester. There's, they've looked at um, physiological responses to music after the point of birth to stimuli that they've kind of been playing to infants whilst they're in utero to see if there's any kind of impact of... Um, you know, remembering that music on, you know, like heart rate, breathing rate and things like that. And they've shown that you can, you know, play the same little piece of music twice a day in weeks 35, 36 and 37 of gestation. And um, that will actually, if you then play that piece of music, this infant has been trained on in utero, um, when when they're out of the womb, born, um, that that will have a more profound physiological response um, in terms of heart rate and breathing rates. You'll see a nice reduction in response to that music that they're familiar with um, than would an, an, a piece of music that they're not familiar with. So it, it, there is definitely some kind of efficacy in, in the idea that you would perhaps share music with yeah. a fetus, which sounds like a really weird thing to do. but. Yeah, um yeah. But yeah, there's definitely research that suggests that it's actually got benefits.
1: That's cool. Um, So why is it important to to sing to babies and and children? Um,
0: Yeah, so I I guess singing is really universal. So it's emerged spontaneously in in cultures all across the world. Um, And it's the most kind of universal form of music, I would say. So that suggests that it's got some kind of evolutionary value, right? And, And I guess... The two main theories here are that it it's used as a form of emotional regulation for your infant. So mm. it's typically, you know, we use this um, way of singing and, and um, I don't know if you've heard of infant directed speech, which is that kind of really exaggerated speaking yeah, voice that I you use. I saw some
1: programmes about Yeah. yeah
0: so, so when we're talking to our kids, we kind of instinctively talk mm. in this quite exaggerated way. We almost sing the words a little more. We speak more slowly. We do the same with song, right? So we instinctively sing in a certain way to our infants. And um, there's typically like two categories of songs that we share with our infants we've got um, basically songs to soothe like mm-hmm. lullabies and in our culture yeah. that would be something like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star I don't know what it would be in France
1: would uh, <laughs> he... maman yep perfect and then you've also
0: got the play songs as well which are kind of there to stimulate your infant a little more so wheels on the bus might be an example of that or heads shoulders knees and toes so Mm -hmm. not the not the um kind of relaxation songs it's more the you know stimulation side of it so yeah we've got these songs that serve those two different purposes And, and as i said previously we've seen that music does have this physiological impact on infants so it does you know soothe them when they're Mm-hmm. You know, distressed and things. So, I guess the main functions of songs are to stimulate and to yeah. soothe, and um,
1: makes you happier as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just a really intuitive thing to do, isn't it? But then there's also this idea that because we use certain patterns of phrasing and yeah. this exaggerated and slower voice when we sing, that it helps to scaffold the learning of language in those early years as well. I was going to
1: so, say that. I was going to mention. I have a question. Yeah, we. Obviously my, the first one, my daughter is, um, they're, all, they're both bilingual, but we we got told that she would start speaking later uh, than other kids, yeah. uh, but she didn't seem to have any delays in her speech development, although she very, very much speaks English now, she doesn't hardly speaks French. Yeah. She's trying to make a lot of effort now. Um, but uh, it's it was quite interesting. and I don't know if it's fully linked to always singing and playing music to her. Uh, there was also probably reading. And also, apparently, I've heard, I've, there was a, a podcast in French, so I can't share it with you, but um, it was, um, the, the guest was um, asked some questions about um, how influenced we are with the the sex of our uh, of our kids and the games we play are very different whether we there's a boy we've got a boy or a girl and then sometimes we we can't help it because it's just cultural and the games that are played with uh, girls generally are more prone to encouraged language language development so maybe yeah. reading and i mean it's Something stupid but we we do play uh, we do play with, with dollies as well with boys, but we didn't used to or we we might play with doll, dolls far less with boys than with girls, and all those games encourage you apparently encourage you to um develop the uh the language here yeah.
0: so interesting i mean as a parent and I lectured for maternity cover a little while back um language development mm-hmm. in very early. Children and I don't know that much about it. I wouldn't profess to be an expert on any of that, but it's interesting that you see that you're to- and, and in re- relation to play and gender differences. Like, I don't know about you, but I feel like there is such an innateness to it as well. Though, like, yeah. if I look, yeah, I mean, I've got a girl no, and a boy, no, no. and I love the idea yeah. that that we we do we definitely do bring a lot to the table. But Osha and my boy, from such an early age, before he could like you know walk even he was just obsessed with balls yeah same as ours absolutely he would just chase them all around every and then when he started walking all he wanted to do was kick a football around like and then my daughter maybe
1: um i mean mine my uh my boy is the same he's obsessed about balls (laughs) and you know his first words was ball Uh, but um is it the fact that we've we've seen him play with a ball
0: that you've then, then endorsed it and then it. we
1: we say oh yeah good yeah instantly well just but unconsciously then like... and then maybe with our daughters we didn't may, we may not have said anything yeah not encourage them I, I don't know It's There's definitely but I, I an agree, element yeah, of that but
0: I just don't think it can be fully explained by that because like also my youngest one is a daughter so I've got the opposite you've got the elder daughter and the younger son but i feel like for her early development she was surrounded by oshan's toys right so she was very much in this perhaps boy gendered toy environment if that was something that we were subconsciously imposing on our kids um but still it's dolls. When she's at nursery, or she wants to play with is the doll. Maybe that's because it's the novel stimulus and we haven't got many yeah. dolls in our house, but... No, no, like, I, I agree.
1: And um, before I thought, yeah. no, they'll have very neutral educations. Exactly. And they, they'll, <laughs> yeah, they'll uh, be vain. There's
0: something in there. There's there definitely won't be a mix of nature no, and I'm just re- and revising, nurture, it, yeah. <laughs> I'm revising theory. like most things <laughs> in life.
1: Um, is there any differences between singing to a child or and playing music to a child, as in... Um, well, if we sing a lullaby, yeah. maybe we'll be able to repeat it more and emphasise some some words. Whereas if we play uh, something on uh, on our speaker, uh, yeah. they'll be far less prone to repeat it or singing it. I guess oh.
0: my PhD is in, in voice perception, actually. So that's yeah. quite a personal question. And um, we do, from before the point of birth, develop a familiarity of with the voices that are in mm-hmm. our auditory environment a lot yeah. so i guess the main difference between singing and just playing a piece of music is that you've got that added element of familiarity and that's yeah. so important to an infant because their perceptual universe is incredibly confusing right yeah. so it's an, it's an onslaught it's <laughs> they're born into a world that they can't make visual percepts they can't necessarily coherently um hear what a f- pitches in the first instance so that familiarity is going to be incredibly reassure- reassuring to an infant isn't it so if they've got that you know they know that it's their mother or their father or their brother talking or singing mm-hmm. then i imagine that would be the main source of reassurance and that it's yeah. it's you know a stable feature of their environment whereas a recording probably doesn't provide that same degree of mm. um coherence
1: there's I i don't know if you've got the book of um baby jack jack from the incredibles no i haven't um, I've, I've got, got it, to I, it. Kept, <laughs> I kept reading it yeah to to my daughter and um there's there's one about the babysitter who says who plays music mozart and says it uh, playing apparently mozart um playing mozart so classical music uh stimulates their intellectual intellectual abilities but i thought is it really does it really
0: I don't know. I don't know. Is the answer? Yeah, I've I've not looked into that I specific question. I, there is mixed research in relation to the, like the Mozart effect in mm. later development, but um, I'm not sure about in early years.
1: But it's I probably guess, practicing it that yeah Im- increases and improves your intellectual abilities and physical as well, um, psychological, stimulating uh, an
0: interest in music. From an early age Mm. is really a lovely thing to do that promotes kind of and like if you think about different structures that we use for music across the world, we become very accustomed to the culture of our music very very early on. So, um, in Western music, we typically use something called isochronous metric structures, which is where the intervals between beats are held constant. Mm -hmm. Um, But in Balkan music, they use non-isochronous um, metric structures, which okay. can sound really alien to somebody who's not been exposed to them from quite early in development, and, and you know has that cultural understanding of those yeah. those metric structures. So when I try and listen to that music, I find it really hard to make sense of it. Um, whereas it would come quite naturally to somebody who's grown up within that culture and had very early exposure to it. So I guess from that research, I would take away the idea that any amount of musical exposure from a very young age will increase. The realms of possibility within your world of auditory perception. Yeah. So I think, yeah, there probably is something in intellectual stimulation as a result of listening to music in those early years. Yeah. But but yeah.
1: not just solely and purely and only yeah, listening well, to, to
0: music. Classical music is the be all and end all of that. But um, yeah, I just think as much as experience as you can provide, is it's only going to be a wonderful thing like yeah. down the line, you know.
1: So let's go to speak about the p- pitch perception. Yeah. What is it?
0: What is it? Well, that's kind <laughs> <do> of <you> describe <laughs> <Okay>. it. <laughs> so every and the sound wave of it as well. that hits Aria right, is, is made up of a fundamental frequency, mm-hmm. which is a frequency at a certain repetition rate, and then harmonic integers, at, like harmonic frequencies at integers of that multiple, mm-hmm. uh, multiple integers of that fundamental, sorry. Yeah. Um, and that's like pitch is you know something that we create it's a perceptual phenomenon where we integrate frequencies to find like the tune or the the note of mm-hmm. of a speaking voice or a musical note um so it's a perceptual ability that you know researchers have asked are we a born? are we born with the ability to? create a pitch percept or do we develop that? um, You know, are we born with just a lot of frequencies hitting our ear, a lot of noise that we then have to create into the signal? And at what point in development are we able to create that pitch from those frequencies that hit our ear? Um, And there's some really lovely studies out there on this, um, but fundamentally it suggests that around four months of age, which is quite an interesting um, age anyway. I don't know if you remember the four-month kind of regression. I call it regression, but but it it becomes (laughs) a stage of development. (laughs) But they go mental, don't they? The whole world changes at that point. And that's the point at which researchers have suggested they start to be able to kind of coherently perceive pitch. Um, So taking all of that, like, noise, Mm. all these different frequencies, and then making it into a coherent pitch happens at around four months and you can just see how much your world might change as a function of that right and then when you think about this little baby who's just been overwhelmed and, and visually as well right you know when you get those these baby books given to you when you go to like the book clinic and it's just like black and white lines and contours and patterns because their visual worlds when when they're uh. born these newborns they they don't make much sense and, yeah. and it's all about that kind of contrast and contour um, rather than you know form perception similar in the auditory world right like you've got all of this noise coming in and and you've got to kind of use statistical learning um, to be able to make sense of that environment and around four months we see this kind of big development in the auditory systems of infants so that they can kind of make a little bit sense of pitch in their environment and it continues to develop over that first year to the point where seven, eight months, it's looking a bit more stable than it was at four months, but it begins to emerge at around four months of age.
1: Yeah. um, The four months were probably the second trauma of um, after having kids. (laughs) Because (laughs) the first trauma is the birth. Yep, yeah. And then the second trauma is when you think it's all good, your baby, you think your baby sleeps very well. And suddenly you just don't understand they. Don't sleep anymore.
0: I know, it's mad, isn't it? But then Um, if you think about their world, right? Like all of that stuff that's going on, they're suddenly making sense of their eyes and their ears. And like, it makes total sense that they would not sleep anymore because Mm. everything's amazing then, right? (laughs) They can see your face coherently. They can hear your voice as something totally new and exciting that wasn't there before. And that's mad. But it is infuriating yeah because you don't <laughs> you, you don't, don't understand it
1: you don't know why it's happening know, Why right? they've stopped sleeping well and um, i'll always remember we were at that time of four months we went back to france to visit our family and introduce the and um, it was doing a heat wave oh, and we thought we'd completely messed up her sleep pattern and way um the all the all the habits and the routine, we thought we'd, we'd messed up that because of going to France during the heat wave, And they, like, probably after a year, or maybe less, um, we realised, oh, it's just sleep. Yeah, the form Regression.
0: Reg- regression. It's a terrible word for it, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. actually, if you think about the progress that they're making at that point in time, yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's not right at all, but yeah... It was hell for us as well. Was, we, we didn't go to France when <laughs> my child was four months We actually went and walked the Pembrokeshire Coastal Path when Osham was four months old and we spent the summer in tents. It was lovely, but um, it was exhausting. We were like mm-hmm. up at four every morning, but we were walking a lot. So yeah. we kind of stumbled around the Pembrokeshire Coastal Path for a summer, horribly sleep deprived and trying to make sense of this hell that we'd landed in with... Um, for my baby but yeah it's yeah. it's a lot
1: <laughs> and you're you feel like you're turning crazy yeah trying to find any solution to uh to get your baby to sleep
0: yeah yeah i've done some crazy things in, in an attempt to get them down before yeah
1: no not harmful though uh, no no yeah, just
0: slings dancing around like a moron with exactly. white noise on and
1: or taking your car and go for a trip oh, just goodness, to get yeah. your baby to sleep <laughs> it all goes out
0: the window. This kind of green-minded eco lifestyle when you've got a screaming for a baby who doesn't sleep at night. Yeah,
1: um, agreed. So, how do we test the uh, the pitch perception that we know the baby can perceive the right pitch, or is it is it more like is it less that less precise than we think, and it's just that they can recognize, for example, some certain songs or certain sounds more than others because they've been educated to that trained so
0: the study that I use as an example it's it's really clever study that is probably too in depth for this but it's they use um, EEG so measurements of um, you put electrodes on the scalp of the infants and look at brain waves in in response to different auditory stimuli and they use something called an oddball paradigm which is where you have standard stimuli and deviant stimuli. Um, And they've set it up in such a way that um, like our brains are quite amazing. And if we remove the fundamental frequency from an auditory stimulus, but we keep some of the harmonic frequencies in, our brains have this ability to infer the pitch of that note from the evidence available to us. So even in the absence of the the physical frequency that corresponds to the pitch, we make this very intuitive inference about the pitch of a noise. Okay, Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, I think I can understand it. <laughs> <laughs> they set up this study very cleverly um, where they had some stimuli that were deviant and they had these missing lower frequencies. Whereas, if you mm-hmm. could perceive the pitch, you um, would be able to infer that the pitch of the note was um, the same yeah. or different. I can't remember. Hang on. This, anyway, this is probably too much detail. But if you didn't have that ability to perceive the pitch, it would appear. The same. So okay. they were looking for this, what's called a mismatch negativity, where which is like a, a nice peak in the brainwaves in response to these deviant trials. So if they could perceive that pitch, they would mm-hmm. see that they'd see this nice peak, and if they couldn't, they wouldn't see it. And they found okay. that in three months old infants. That wasn't there, but in four-month-old infants, it was. It's a really nice graph. I don't know if you ever put graphs on your podcast.
1: I do, if you, if you send it to me. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I can show it But
0: um, yeah, in the video version. Yeah, in the video version. I'll show you it. You can see here. So three-month-old infants, no lovely mismatch negativity, but in mm-hmm. these four-month-old infants. And then it's even more pronounced in these seven-month-old infants. So you can see that over those first few months of development, we get this really nice um development of that ability to perceive pitch and generally what we see in terms of like early development is that these universal aspects of auditory environments like pitch perception and relative pitch perception happen really early on so those are the kind of universal innate things and then later in development is more kind of the culturally specific stuff so key membership harmonies and that kind of thing so it's a general pattern but
1: Mm -hmm. interesting um Why can't some people sing in tune? Do you know?
0: Great question. There is something called congenital amusia, which um, actually exists in about 4% of the population apparently, which I had no idea about. And that's basically um, this inability to coherently perceive very familiar songs Mm -hmm. or produce them as well. So it's like a complete um, absence of recognition of music and tune and pitch Um, so there's huge individual differences in our ability to perceive pitch and um, a lot of research has looked into um, kind of the broad spectrum we see but there are this really interesting class of people who just don't seem to have that ability altogether you can also acquire a music through brain damage Mm -hmm. um, to certain parts of the brain but um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting that 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 up to four percent of the population just don't have this innate yeah, yeah. pitch ability that the, a lot of us do have.
1: And do you think we can train it as well? We can.
0: It doesn't seem to be the case for that people population. People don't
1: sing in tune can end up singing in tune if they they practice music or they get some training, intense music training, or not something.
0: I th- I'd imagine so. It's not something I know a great deal about, but um, I guess there are these. Um, pitch matching tasks that you mm-hmm. can do online actually I, tr- I did one when i was setting up this module and i'm actually really bad at it where you, it, basically know. what it does is it plays you a note and you have to try and sing it back and it, yeah. you know see how close you are in frequency to that note um and with that visual feedback and that training i'm sure you can probably improve your pitch accuracy but um yeah, again, it goes back to that debate, doesn't it? Like nature, nurture, like how mm. much can you improve it when there is this spectrum of auditory ability in relation to pitch anyway, or research suggests there is, you know. That, um,
1: what do you think about perfect pitch then? Can you, well, That's an interesting one as well. There's um, Apparently there's some research, and you can confirm, uh, that showed that Asian kids or Asian people were more likely to have the perfect pitch so yeah um sing they the de- one well, specific notes without a reference so without being played that yes. before um and it's because of their language is much more tone or there's more subtleties in their languages in terms of tones that encourages the development of the p- pitch one well, perfect pitch
0: yeah you've just said it perfectly so people from, who speak tonal languages like mandarin cantonese where the same word means different things dependent upon the tone in which you speak it mm-hmm. um there are much higher rates of perfect pitch in those populations and mm-hmm. that also confers um an advantage in terms of that pitch production yeah so they tend to perform better those those populations of people on pitch matching tasks and also pitch perception tasks as well. So yeah, if you, if you speak a language that kind of requires that, um, element of pitch, which isn't necessarily true of our language, um, it does definitely seem to confer an advantage in terms of your production of pitch generally in in I also
1: noticed that, um, all the, at school, uh, music school, all the kids who were playing an instrument that involves some tuning. Yeah were more able to not had the perfect pe- perfect pitch necessary, but we had some. I don't know how you call it in um, in English, like dictations. Somebody plays some a piece of music, and we had to play find the notes and no it, write it down. Oh, okay, yeah, write the Tran- sheet down. Yeah,
0: transcribe.
1: Um, I don't know what how it's called. Transcription. There, probably. Okay. So they. I'm like, not it's, a musician. <laughs> they would play a melody. Yeah. Usually. Uh, it starts with a melody and you have to find it again. Yeah. With the right uh, rhythm and the right notes. That'd and then that, after that, part. they play chords as well. So you have to to guess what this is. Uh, but the, the students and the kids who were uh, better at it were those playing violin, cello. Um, I found that when I started to play percussion, I had better abilities because um when you you have to tune timpanies.
0: okay yeah
1: um, and sometimes on the go as well
0: yeah amazing
1: um so but i don't i don't know whether that um it's probably a factor as well.
0: yeah it makes sense doesn't it i guess if you're concentrating on those and training those kind of spectral features then then i guess it would make sense that that yeah improves your perceptual ability in relation to spectral features so yeah i think um that's intuitive
1: what is a temporal perception
0: temporal so research tends to kind of differentiate between spectral and temporal in Mm -hmm. relation to music so spectral features we're talking about kind of melody pitch harmony Mm -hmm. all things that are related to the notes but temporal is the kind of things that we look at over time so that's like the beat the rhythm the meter Those are the kind of things that we're talking about when we're talking about temporal perception. Um, So beat is obviously kind of like the pulse of the music. Mm -hmm. Um, A rhythm is kind of a series of notes, how you might lay them out. So like da, 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 da would be a very basic rhythm, but that can be laid out across a number of different meters. So meter is how we organize those rhythms Mm -hmm. um, in terms of like bars and yeah, across the beat, basically. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, uh, And can fetuses and babies perceive it? I've found, I mean, I don't know how you test it, but I found a definite improvement in my son. I didn't notice it, but maybe because I wasn't paying attention. But when you tap a certain rhythm or you play with them, tapping rhythms or doing something, they can reproduce the same number of beats yeah, or hits somewhere yeah. which um, before the one table or earlier yeah so I, so I guess
0: there's, there's also other factors that are developing obviously yeah. alongside all of these things counting so it's hard well. yeah, yeah counting but Even just like motor skills, you know, like in those very early (laughs) months or whatever, you're never going to be able to get a baby to kind of copy something because they just can't hold anything. So I guess it's hard to know about a lot of these things. And also you've got attention that's developing alongside this. Linguistic Mm -hmm. abilities that are developing alongside this. So it's really hard to research those kind of things in isolation. But yeah, we definitely see across those early years development across, you know, all of those areas of, Mm. of musical spectral and temporal processing um so yeah
1: yeah because you know there's an age when you can uh, ask your kids to repeat what well, they want to repeat everything you say yeah so yeah maybe not yours <laughs> Mine definitely <laughs> copies <laughs> copycat. is
0: there an age when they listen to you i can't wait for that age <laughs> i think
1: there's an age when they, they listen to you they love listening to you then there's an, <laughs> okay. an age when they stop listening to you
0: uh, we've never got and to the age and, of and it starts
1: again at some point and it just yeah. goes in yo-yo
0: waxes and wanes all the way through childhood, and I thought that too
1: yeah but yeah I did notice that when uh, my, obviously I was playing uh, with with my son trying because he kept yeah. repeating what I was saying and I kept doing and then I started doing some sounds and noises and rhythm and he was doing the right, uh, the same rhythm or sometimes the same number of yeah. things he was doing so yeah it's amazing
0: yeah Never, um never tried that with mine. Maybe I'll go home and start whacking things and see what she does. <laughs> probably just hit me.
1: <laughs> um, how, are we all sensitive to meter or is, I mean, the answer is no, because you've just, you said at the beginning, you felt like you didn't have any sense of rhythm. Well,
0: that's, it would be incorrect for me to say that I was insensitive to meter though. I think we all, do you have some kind of sensitivity to it? even people who haven't had musical training. I think some people have again, better abilities in mm-hmm. these things than other people. But yeah, I guess um, research does show that we do seem to have a preference like universally for something that has structure, metric structure, as opposed to something that doesn't. So we, we like regularities and we're very good at processing regularities in our environments. Um, so yeah, and like and like I alluded to earlier, things like it's something that you become quite specialised at quite quickly in relation to the metric structures that are familiar to your culture. Um, so yeah, but but universally there does seem to be this preference for things that have a metric structure over things that don't. So I would say yes, we probably all have some degree of sensitivity to, to metric structure.
1: And the same is it the same as pitch, or like as you said, uh, some people can't sing a tune and don't have any perception the that's right a really good question
0: I don't know I don't know actually but I know that congenital amusia is related more to the spectral fe- features of music mm-hmm. rather than the temporal features of music I don't know if there's an equivalent in the okay. temporal domain or whether congenital amusia can include like a deficiency in you know the rhythmic yeah. features of music but yeah interesting
1: question and um how about the development of emotional response to music um What sort of acoustic features allow us to create emotions in music? Yeah, Um, so
0: it's kind of quite intuitive the answer mm -hmm. to that question, right? So if I was singing loudly you might yeah. assume that that's more happy than mm-hmm. if i was singing quite quietly or if you're singing really fast and that's yes. probably going to be you know happiness whereas slow is sad um so there are that seems to be quite universal there's quite you know obvious characteristics mode as well so major minor happiness sadness respectively um so yeah that seems to be something that's relatively standard um and our ability to infer emotion and the cues that we use to do that actually changes quite a lot over the course of development and pitch perception does become more specialized over the course of development. So two, three-year-olds aren't necessarily great at perceiving, you know, key structures and, you know, melodies that fit within mm-hmm. or deviate from keys. Yeah. So um. the idea that um, pitch is a very salient cue doesn't happen till slightly further on. So like, four or five year olds when they're starting to learn about emotion I guess before that a labelling emotion is, is quite hard um, they'll use those quite obvious cues like the speed of the song how loud it is um, and then the more kind of structural pitch related things like harmonies and melodies become more important later in development so seven eight year olds have much better ability to think about those pitch related features of music in terms of the emotions that might be associated with
1: them interesting um
0: yeah and words as well they they use words obviously lyrics are quite a salient feature um
1: it's some music maybe i mean i can think about a lot of french songs that are I sound happy, but when you read the lyrics and try to understand the lyrics, they're not necessarily happy. Yeah. Um. And I've never realised before actually trying to understand the lyrics. Yeah. Because you learn, you learn the songs, but you don't necessarily learn the, the and words. Do you, I mean, and
0: do you know what emotion they're trying to convey now? Is it obvious to you now if there's this mismatch between the features of the music and the lyrics? Yeah, well... Do you know what the intended emotion is?
1: I don't know. I don't know. Or is um, it meant
0: to be ambiguous?
1: I don't know. Um, but sometimes I think, oh, that's horrible. I don't want to say to sing that anymore.
0: <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? When you revisit like fairy tales and things that are from your childhood. Yeah, yeah, same. Like, and they're really dark. Some of them.
1: <laughs> Cinderella, is horrible.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lots of them are. Snow White, not nice. Yeah, Hansel yeah. and Gretel, absolutely terrifying. Yeah, oh, like, yeah definitely yeah so there's a lot of that like so what are we doing to these poor little kids <laughs> but you know maybe we should move away from those traditional nursery rhymes and fairy tales and, and start making up our own stories
1: well there's loads of new ones and very quickly they listen to um their peers songs and oh, yes yeah. you can think about coccamellon it's I've
0: oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep. laughs>
1: had a beard of cocoa melon For quite a while
0: <sighs> It's terrible I've had um, the Jojo and Grand Grand Theme tune stuck in my head On repeat for yeah, quite some it's, time oh, yeah, well. It's like a proper earworm that one So Earworms, these ones um, that get stuck on repeat like, oh, no, It's, it's a nice one
1: though <laughs> It is
0: maybe for half an hour, but yeah. like it was stuck with me for for a fair few days. And and Michael at one point was like, "Can you just stop singing JoJo and Grand Grand?" I like, <laughs> "Oh really? I'm, st- I'm singing it just subconsciously, just like yeah. cracking on with that." Yeah, great. <laughs> it's
1: it's a nice series, though. Um, yeah. We we really like and Grand Grand. Yeah, it's, it's um, very
0: wholesome, isn't it? And
1: just talking about it, I've got the music now in my, in my yeah, mind. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's weird how everybody calls her Grand Gran,
1: You yeah.
0: know? everyone
1: but other than that i think it's lovely um about emotions you know um i don't know if you know but athletes are not allowed to listen to music during competitions yeah because um it inhibits it can inhibit their pain so basically you can't um run a marathon or maybe you can yeah. Uh but if you but do like that as a professional, yeah, yeah. You're not allowed to listen to music because it inhibits your pain.
0: Yeah, I had no idea. That's pretty it's quite interesting, yeah. Yeah.
1: So oh and it definitely creates some so obviously when you after you've put your kids to bed, um you suddenly are knackered. You've got lo- you lose so much energy yeah and sometimes it hasn't worked very often um all the time but sometimes i've put like uh, some music with strong beats or some yeah. workout music or playlists and it just motivates me very quickly again yeah there's loads or of research motivates in that. me to do some to work out or yeah go that's for amazing. Run or, yeah
0: i tend to just fall off a cliff when my kids go to bed in terms of my energy levels and, and then i just go to bed half yeah. past seven i'm in bed
1: <laughs> I but sometimes you've vibe, got even but... no energy to even put some music on
0: exactly you just i don't make it to the other side of bedtime a lot of the time i just wake up three hours later in bed with my kids just mm. like oh i should probably go to my own bed now but yeah. yeah that's yeah there is research in in how we use music to regulate our moods and there's a lot about um use of music for exercise as well and it's yeah. a very good regulator but i've never heard that thing about um inhibiting pain or being able to kind yeah. of use it to overcome that very f- physical sensation that's quite an interesting phenomenon
1: and then something that was quite interesting when we talk when we spoke uh about a podcast with, with you was the the fact that obviously singing emerges spontaneously
0: yeah <laughs> that's quite a nice and, thing to see as a parent isn't yeah? it like when i was writing this lecture. This part of it was one of those things that I just thought actually I really relate to that just from being yeah. a parent. And it's just I don't know about you, but like it, it from two onwards when they start just piping into song. Like mm. My little girl at the moment she's obsessed with jingle bells, <laughs> the jingle bells, and it's just the sweetest thing. <laughs> she suddenly kind of grasped the idea of what singing is, and it's just she can't really do it in tune or in time, or she can't get all the words into the right you know space and time, but. She's trying so hard to, you know, express through song, and it's such a lovely, lovely phenomenon to watch.
1: <laughs> Mine was uh, singing uh, "Jim Bob Balls, Jim Balls." You couldn't get it.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's just so cute.
1: But um, yeah, it's um, it's a way to express yourself, and all the kids do it. Yeah. Um, which is really interesting. That's what um, that's what you were saying.
0: Yeah. So they and and a lot of them engage in this spontaneous song. And and research shows that the best time of day to observe that is this period right before they go to sleep, where they suddenly kind of like start. They become quite chatty or quite mm-hmm. you know up for talking and, and singing along about their day. And um,
1: or they sing. their they describe a situation by singing. Yeah. And. Yeah. Um,
0: Exactly. <laughs>
1: you know, there's um there's, I've got two ones, two really I think they're really cute, but um uh, I usually um when when I asked my daughter uh, to say thank you, I I asked her to say in French and so merci mon papa and then uh, I've I've made up like I've asked her to say mon papa que j'aime, mon papa who I love. And then um so she does it naturally now, <laughs> which is very cute. Aww. Um but um one day she I asked her to say thank you uh like, what do you say and merci and she started to carry on singing Mon Papa, que j'aime. Oh. papa <laughs> que j'aime. oh another time when um obviously my wife was saying um i'm not of any <laughs> I'm, I'm not of any use it must have been a very dark time at the time but, uh, and then i she's just spontaneously started to sing you're not of any use
0: <laughs> they're like, like sponges they get all that awful stuff that yeah, you yeah. say and pass together they like magnify <laughs> it back at you it's just terrible so,
1: um, yeah so yeah it's really funny how they and at some point sometimes also they will just describe that the tv's on the wall and yeah, sing it yeah
0: definitely so that the emergence of that kind of spontaneous song definitely comes between like the ages of two and three um and yeah they're just they just see their world in, in such a musical way, I think. It's it's just really lovely to observe. But yeah, there's kind of lots of ideas about how that helps to create narratives and, and understand environments. And yeah, they, they, there's a phenomenon called, as a term that I really like called potpourri songs as well, mm-hmm. where they take songs they know. Um, like old mcdonald had a farm for example and then they like personalize it to do, to kind of like add in a little bit of flavor of their own so you know it might be old mcdonald had a farm and then he played with the dolly and took it for a walk and, and then they take it on their own little journey as well so like the idea of papery and taking little bits of everything to create something new so i don't know if you see that one in your kids a lot but that was something um, that one yeah. of the researchers as well. Uh, at the
1: moment there's a lot of um when poo poo and wee wee mode so much of that there's a lot of yeah yeah songs that are like lyrics that are transformed in poo poo and wee wee and bottom
0: absolutely (laughs) we've got a lot of that going on as well
1: (laughs) but then you know it's sometimes it's so funny that you just encourage it i
0: know it is so funny isn't it (laughs) like it's just the amount of humor that provides for them it's just it's bizarre and i I don't know about you but one of the things i love about parenthood is it just takes you back to this place especially when they're like really really little like the age your son my daughter is now and you can you can see like the excitement of the world through their eyes like discovering things for the first time and and like things that you would not think twice about but you take them to a new place and you see this beauty in in nothing (laughs) you know in the mundane but also like humour in the in the totally ridiculous you know like poo and wee suddenly becomes like how funny it is for them is just very endearing for you as mm. a parent so it's it's yeah. like there are so many challenges of <laughs> being a parent to two young kids but there is so much beauty associated well you have to remind yeah. yourself of so, that sometimes. sometimes it's really
1: hard to to rem- remember this yeah uh, definitely it's, let's face it it's really hard isn't it
0: it's so hard <laughs> yeah but you know, occasionally they're really cute.
1: Yeah, but there's a lot of horrible times as well. <laughs> I'm
0: trying really hard to be positive about parenthood.
1: I know, but, uh, you know, something that I wish um, we would have been aware of, and there's so many topics that we could talk about, uh, but um, that, you know, people don't want to say that time sometimes is horrible, but they, they need to be honest. The others need yeah. to know about it. And I know it's... Uh, you know, it's um, it's it's really good news that you're gonna have a child and um, your partner is pregnant. Uh, but um, you know, very often I think I want to say good luck first. Yeah. And then yes, you're gonna enjoy it as well. But good luck. <laughs> but
0: it is really
1: uh, tough. <laughs> and I, I wish I was I had been prepared for it as well. Yeah. For a lot of, lot of things. Um, Although I did
0: find when. I was pregnant with my first. There was so much negativity around <laughs> parenting. It's like, oh, it's really hard. Have you got family close by? I was like, nope. They were like, you're going to really struggle. I was but like, you oh, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> but so. it it takes away the magic of it. It's a journey. It is a really tough gig, mm. but yeah, I think it's it, it's. But
1: you've got a big. Um, Yes, it's amazing. I, I, I wouldn't I'm, change I'm it for gonna, the world. Yeah, exactly. But uh, it is hard. <laughs> but what I, what I regret, because it it makes you think, what? Is it like this? I've never been told of this. I've never been told it would be that hard. Yeah. I, like I've your expectations been told about of perfect sleep kids. Deprivation. Who... Um, I've never been told that it would be 50 50. And for the first, uh, like, it's really hard to interact with your, with your baby at the beginning. And yeah, it's. Um, it is tough so yeah
0: you're right it is really tough um, and it's it, definitely not all singing and dancing just to bring it yeah. back to the music it's getting but,
1: better though it gets yeah. better uh,
0: the older they get the more they can uh, comprehend yeah I think it get. I don't know if it gets easier it, but it's different every stage of it is different isn't it and then I yeah. guess you introduce a second one into the mix and there's this whole sibling rivalry dynamic going on mm. very big in our house at yes. the minute like every morning and every evening it's a battle and then you get to work feeling like you've just depleted all your emotional em- energy mm. and you've got this day where you have to be able to have like coherent conversations yeah. and you're emotionally exhausted physically exhausted because they still wake up all night mm. I don't know about your children but my four and two year old they'll still wake up at least twice a night well you know twi- two times a night typically
1: yeah the, um, my daughter doesn't yeah. uh, my son yeah does same for quite us. often but well, so he gets back to sleep very quickly. But
0: I don't. I don't know about you, <laughs> like, Well, so
1: that's another thing, actually, I wanted to speak to you about. It's quite interesting. So there's, you know, there's been a BBC programme that um, showed that um, if they exposed or played music of a baby crying, yeah, parents would be really alert and have reflexes, really good reflexes. And yeah. it's just natural because if your baby cries and you hear your baby crying, you need to be alert and be uh, reasonable yep. and all that. But um, you could be extremely tired, uh, sleep deprived. But if your baby wakes up at night crying, you tr- struggle to get him or her back to sleep. You won't be able to get back to sleep because they've been, you heard, crying for so long yeah. that your brain is just ready to action yeah and it's incredible but really annoying on the the other uh, hand and my way of dealing with this was to uh play white noise and that very often works like 70 percent of the time uh or reading that calms me down that's good but i obviously i don't always do it because sometimes i'm so knackered i just can't be bothered doing it. But that's yeah. That, that was a, quite an interesting thing. Interesting. I don't know if you've if you researched or if you've done anything. I research with
0: No, I, I give a lecture on sleep in the first years, but it's more mm-hmm. about the kind of like neurotransmitters associated with sleep. And I, I wish I knew the strategies to get back to sleep because mm-hmm. like, I'm, like like you say, you wake up in this very hyper alert state my two-year-old last night she just woke well she didn't even wake up she was asleep and in her sleep she was having a tantrum about someone taking her toy buggy off her mm-hmm. but like you know just like that's my buggy like very very cross about it and I was suddenly like bolt upright from you know mm. every stage of sleep I might have been in I was suddenly very awake and then that was like five to three this morning and I have not been back to sleep since because yeah. I just couldn't get there and I was like okay I'll put some meditative music on you no know? but i think that i'm very much in planning mode as well like i think that there's an element of stress and what's going on in your life aside from you know your home environment or yeah. whatever like i'm on the countdown to christmas at this point in time like i just need a break it's been a semester that's been totally busy and i think that that's feeding into my ability to get back to sleep so I think the less stress you have beyond your your life, it's it's probably easier to achieve that mastery of falling asleep anytime, anywhere. I look at people who can do that with envy. But then at the same time, there's times when I sleep like the dead, and mm. you can't wake me up. Like Michael came in the other night and said, you know, your daughter was trying to pull his like little yeah. security blanket out from underneath me and screaming and hitting me, and I was. Absolutely fast asleep. Yeah, so so just yeah. so
1: tired. There's <laughs> no chance. So yeah. One of the uh, upcoming episodes of High Point is with Victoria Williamson, who's just uh, created a, a company called Audison, and it's an app um, that creates very specific types of sounds, oh, nice. designs, um, like songs to concentrate, um, and also. Um, calm down to sleep. She's got. A bit, I'd love um, to know about the research kids.
0: behind that kind of stuff. So you like, have to listen to that episode. Yeah, I will. Um, or ask her it's... questions from me. Like, are there certain pieces of research that suggest that there's a certain frequency that promotes attentive behaviour? And oh, I'd like to well, have a conversation yeah,
1: with her. <laughs> um, so she'll she'll be able to describe it a bit better. But she explained to me very quickly that they try to replicate to get the brain to generate a very low frequency so uh-huh. 5 hertz yeah that will help you concentrate amazing so they send two different types of frequencies
0: uh-huh.
1: and the brain will try to compensate the difference
0: uh, so 100 okay.
1: and for example that
0: sounds like and the brain torture. will try to compensate
1: and <laughs> uh, create, generate the, uh, the low frequency that's how I've understood it
0: oh okay I'm definitely going to have to listen so, to that one it sounds interesting
1: we'll explain it <laughs> What do you think about deliberate practice and um, inborn talent? Do you think
0: the same old nature nurture question
1: is a a talent or it's educated and it's it's based on the environment, it's influenced by the environment?
0: Like most things in psychology, the answer is it's definitely a little bit of both. Um, So it's a really lovely thought, isn't it, that we could just through practice Mm -hmm. become really proficient at something. And there is an element of, you know, absolutely, you can improve your ability and a skill through deliberate practice. And if you apply yourself a certain amount to something, inevitably, you're going to get better at Mm -hmm. it. There's also obviously, perhaps a genetic predisposition to be the kind of person that is capable of applying themselves mm-hmm. to deliberate practice in a certain way as well. Yeah. So there's, you know, lots of factors going on there. But yeah, I think personality, um, individual differences, you know, starting age of, of music as well. That's that's sure yeah. to pay an important factor in kind of musical competency later down the line. So,
1: but is it because there's education is more intense when we're younger than when we're older, and we are, we don't have as, as much time to practice
0: that. To an extent, yeah. But then what we see in in language development is that there's this kind of critical period for language learning. Mm -hmm. So I think, have you heard of Jeannie, this girl who was kept in solitary confinement? A very, very sad story. But she basically, um, she was discovered when I think she was 13 and um, she'd never learned language because she was basically kept in very, very brutal, horrible conditions, child abuse. Um, And she never ever had the ability to acquire that skill further down the line. So okay. there is some suggestion that we have, perhaps not to the same degree, um, a critical period for music learning as well. Mm-hmm. So that unless you get this certain kind of skill set within those those early years, you'll never be quite as proficient if you pick something up later down the line. I'm yeah. not saying you can't play the guitar if you start at the age of 40, but the the level of proficiency you will achieve is definitely related to the age at which you start an instrument.
1: And um do you think we can become a music expert or a professional musician? Um, and well, with practice, with just deliberate practice I
0: think so, yeah. I think that there's many things to it. It depends on what kind of musician you want to become. Like creativity is a huge component of musicianship, mm-hmm. right? Like I don't know, it depends on what you're what you're talking about. If you're talking about being a concert orchestral yeah, violinist and maybe that's a bit different from being a rock star like who plays bar chords and doesn't actually need a great degree of musical proficiency so I guess that entirely means, depends upon what you mean by expertise but um, I think you can use music to to suit the needs of you and you can yeah. get the degree of proficiency that you you want to through that motivation a lot of the time to, to learn and play
1: yeah I'm I'm only really interested I'd be really interested to know more details about those people who have a like an incredible talent who could play an instrument very quickly yeah. or improvise. Is it because they're they're just talented? Is it because they've been exposed to something else before or they've played another instrument that allowed them that gave them so many skills that they 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 can play very quickly. Um, it's um, it's quite it's quite interesting. It's
0: an amazing question, and I don't think it's something that's ever going to be entirely clear cut. But I do think there is a role of genetics because you see that you know musicianship does run in families. Like, mm-hmm. there's not a huge amount of musical expertise in my family, and I haven't inherited this mm-hmm. great musical ability. But I mean, extrapolating from that, it's. There is a genetic component to that kind of propensity to master it, I think. But that's not to say that it's not a skill that is malleable. Like researchers suggested that about close to 30% of the variance in uh, musical proficiency can be explained by deliberate practice. So, you know, it's a huge factor that contributes to our, our capability in music. And, you know, I think if you really, really wanted it, you could absolutely make it happen, which is a nice thought. But yes. some people that might come easier to because they've got that genetic propensity to to musical ability yeah. that that others don't. Maybe
1: let's hope though. Um, obviously,
0: <laughs> hope for us. Yeah, <laughs> there's,
1: you know, there's the seem I don't know if it's if it's right to um um to think like this, but um there's obviously in in the French culture there seems to be a lot of uh, praise on talent, so somebody's talented yeah. or not. And if you're talented, you can carry on. If you're not talented, you can stop. You and stop and how something. do they frame? And there's no encouragement to to practice, practice, practice. Wow. Uh, but it, I think that's my perception, and it's probably changed, or it's probably like very um, how do you say uh, restricted in, in idea. But um, that's that's my perception, and yeah. then I see also that. um the americans are very much onto practicing hard work and a lot of the the books and information that goes out is is about deliberate practice yeah. it's about not giving up um and if you want something you learn with practice and with time and patience you'll get there in, eventually and I think
0: that that's the main barrier, though, isn't it? Is that people realise that it requires more input than they're yeah. prepared to give it for? For people who don't have that talent, mm-hmm. it's a slog, <laughs> and that can be a huge deterrent for a lot of people. Yeah. So I guess the people you see who get to the top are likely going to be the ones who it comes easier to, who don't have to sit there and slog at it for so long, yeah. or in you know such a hard way. Um, as the people who don't have the talent maybe i don't know so i guess it yeah the two meet together don't know there's yeah. a certain element of both in it but it is interesting how you how you notice a cultural difference there between yes yeah. your countries and and um, the united states in, in their approach to the tuition of it yeah so.
1: I, I don't know about other countries it's just because i've been exposed to yeah, some yeah. specific types of education and books and information so yeah um Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. It's it been was really interesting. Nice, um,
1: <laughs> and I hope a lot of people will listen to this. Um, if people are in, some people are interested in the course, uh, how can they find about it or learn more about music psychology?
0: There's a really good network, actually, I need to... Um, yeah advertise so um there is a northern empirical research music research network that Mm -hmm. people can look into which is a really nice um place to consolidate opportunities in education related to music psychology um and also the latest research in musical psychology um so you can subscribe to the mailing list of that um but in Terms of my course, it's currently only available to undergraduate students at the University of Manchester. Okay, um, so that's unless you come and do a degree with us, <laughs> not something that's in the public domain, but in the um, books,
1: um, about music psychology generally.
0: Yeah, there's some really good ones out there that, yeah, there are. <laughs> <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> can't remember the names, I'm uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I don't know yeah It's okay. Yeah, there's some books. There are some books okay, about I'll, music if, psychology. If you, <laughs> if you
1: remember some of them, I will put them in the links okay, uh, great. in the description.
0: But yeah, I'm always happy to talk about um music psychology with anyone who wants to. I find it a very interesting subject. I do not profess to be an expert in all aspects of music psychology yes. or any to really. Um but yeah, my email address is annie.py Pye at uk. Great. Thank you, Annie. Thank you very much for having me.